Good morning, Creekside. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We will be reading through Mark 6, 14 through 29. Once again, that's Mark 6, 14 through 29. And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. Mark 6, 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had been known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded John in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Lord, as we dissect this section of scripture, I pray that you would calm our hearts and our minds. Lord, this is a weird a disturbing passage that we are looking at today, but I pray that your truth would penetrate our very souls. As I prayed before first service, Lord, I pray here and now that this message today is it's for me too. So Lord, help me hear these words. Help me recognize that we all need Jesus. Help us see who you really are. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you guys can tell, this is going to be a very fun passage to preach through today. Welcome, everybody. Uh, just so you know who to send emails to, parents, my name is Nathan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Creekside. My last name C-E-S-A-R-E-T-T-I. Pronounce Cesaretti, if you're interested. Uh, in Cesaretti at creeksideonline.com. Perfect. Now that we got that out of the way. If you guys remember, all the way back in November... We were in a series on the Gospel of Mark. Then in December, we did Advent, and then in January, we did a refocusing series. But now we are back in the Gospel of Mark, reading through, hence, hence, the Gospel of Mark. And so today we're back in that series, and what a story to come back into and read. There is so much happening in this section of scripture, a story about John the Baptist's death, but there's also more to it. If we look in the first couple of verses, we see different claims about who Jesus might be. And if we just skip over that and get to the really interesting story, we actually miss out on, I think, one of the most important concepts in this section of scripture. And so as we dissect this section of text today, I want us to look at it as a character study. I want us to look at the characters and I want us to consider the question, who is Jesus? And even further, who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to them? Because if we look back at this text at the very beginning, it says that people thought that Jesus was Elijah, that they thought he was a prophet, that they thought he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And although some of these have descriptions and characteristics that really align with who Jesus is, they don't put fully on display who Jesus is. And when we read these scriptures, we see that Herod believes that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. The fact that Herod thought this leads us into the story of how John the Baptist died. It's like a little bit of a flashback going into why would Herod think this. And honestly, the story is sad, it's disturbing, and it's just downright weird. Uh, if you want to read a commentary on this section of scripture, good luck. It is very interesting learning about Herod the Great's family tree. And you will see why an upright, holy man like John the Baptist would make Herod pretty angry, in fact. See, Herod married Herodias, and Herodias was married to Herod's brother, who is also his niece. So Herodias, let's get this Let's say it again. Herodias married Herod. Herodias is Herod's niece. But Herodias was married to Herod's brother as well, and Herod was like, no, I'm going to marry her, and took her. Herod's brother didn't die. It's not like he died. No, he's still alive. Can you imagine the family dinners? Just think for a second. How awkward would this be? This is why John the Baptist is, comes into the picture and says, what you are doing is wrong. 
not only did you marry your brother's sister, but you also married your niece. How disgusting is this? You think your family has drama? Come on now. No, this is nasty. So John the Baptist tells Herod that what he is doing is evil, and Herod decides to throw him in prison. Now Herodias, like I said, who is Herod's wife, hates John the Baptist because of this. How dare John the Baptist tell her how to live her life? But for some reason, Herod likes John the Baptist. He likes having John the Baptist around. And as we'll learn a little bit, a part of this story, Herod likes his power. Herod has pride. Herod does not want his people to turn against him. So here he is having a holy man in prison. He does not want to kill this holy man and may start an uprising. So his pride is not allowing him to kill John the Baptist. But his wife, on the other hand, is plotting for ways to kill John the Baptist. And this is where the story gets a little weird. Herod throws a party for himself and invites all the important males in the culture. And Herodias decides, this is a great opportunity to allow my daughter to dance in front of all these important men. Now, let me clarify something. This is not like a two or three-year-old little cute dance. No, this is a teenage girl who her mother is having dance in front of these men. It is a suggestive dance that is meant to draw the attention of the men by the inappropriate nature of the dance. Its entire meaning was to entice the men. This is awkward with the youth in here. <laughs> but this dance that she does draws the attention of Herod. It makes Herod promise to do anything for her. So she runs out to ask her mom, what should I ask for? And her mom says, the head of John the Baptist. So she goes back and she asks Herod for the head of John the Baptist. And this is where we truly see the character of Herod. Herod may have not liked John the Baptist for John the Baptist telling him what he was doing was wrong. But he didn't want to kill John the Baptist. He could have said no. He could have stood by his principles and said no and done the right thing. But instead, he was filled with a room of people that were watching him. He was concerned what they would think. He was concerned what this would do to his power. He was concerned, what would happen if I break my oath? So he decided to let fear take over. And he killed John the Baptist. That is how John the Baptist died. Welcome back to the book of Mark, ladies and gentlemen. How exciting is this? As complicated as this story is, I do believe that God has been using this story in my own walk of life right now, but also to prepare this message for you guys. Um, when I first saw that the title of what Mark wanted this sermon to be called is, Who is Jesus? I was super confused reading the passage. 
But after a conversation with my good friend, I began to see something very important about this section of scripture. I realized that what we believe about Jesus says a lot about who we think he is. But it also says a lot about our heart posture towards him. And this morning, as I was reading through my notes on the sermon, and as I was reading this passage, I realized something about myself. I realized that in this story, I'm more like Herod than I would like to admit. Often in my life, I let fear make decisions rather than faith. I let what-ifs plague my mind instead of walking in the truth. And that's why this morning we all need to be reminded of who Jesus is. I want us this morning to look at the three views of Jesus mentioned in this section of scripture. That Jesus was thought to be Elijah, he was thought to be a prophet, and he was thought to be John the Baptist. But let's also see how Jesus is far greater than any of those. So let's start by talking about Elijah. Elijah was a prophet and miracle worker in the Old Testament. In other words, he spoke the truth about God and he performed miracles that seemed to be supernatural. Elijah was sent to show Israel that what they were doing was heading them down an evil path, that the things they were worshiping was not appropriate, that it was not the God of the universe. He was calling them back to repentance and to come back and worship the one true God. Elijah fought against the powers that were in charge of his day, and God brought him a victory. And some people in Jesus' day were waiting for the Messiah to come in with a sword. They were waiting for the Messiah to come in on a chariot, ready to pull down the oppression, ready to take over the world by a military force. And instead, the Prince of Peace came ready to die on a cross. Instead, the Prince of Peace died for his friends and his enemies. Now, of course, there were some similarities between Elijah and Jesus, or people wouldn't have thought that Jesus was Elijah. They taught very similar things. In fact, if you remember back to Mark 1, 14 through 15, Scripture says this, that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That sounds a lot like what Elijah came and proclaimed in the Old Testament. Repent, turn from your ways, turn to the one true God. We also know that Jesus performed miracles and Elijah performed miracles. So that's another thing that they had in common. But Jesus is far more than Elijah. Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to die for the sins of the world. And although Elijah called people away from their sins and darkness, Elijah is not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the one who died and rose from the dead. So we can see that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
The second view of Jesus that we see is that Jesus is a prophet. Simply put, a prophet is defined as a person regarded as an inspired teacher and proclaimer of the will of God. It's very easy to see why Jesus would be compared with a prophet. He came teaching. He spoke, healed, and shared insight that God had given him. Jesus was a prophet, and yet he was so much more than a prophet. William Barclay had this to say about Jesus being compared to a prophet. He said, Men in those days were listening for the authentic voice of God, and in Jesus they heard it. It is true that Jesus was more than a prophet. He did not bring only the voice of God. He brought to men the very power and thy very life and the very being of God. So Jesus was a prophet, but he was so much more than a prophet because he was fully God and fully human. And already we see this pattern forming with these thoughts of who Jesus might be, that there's a glimpse of truth that we like to cling to, but we don't see the full picture. And the final comparison that we'll look at is that some people view Jesus as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is best summed up in Mark 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark 1. Look at verses 4 through 8. This is the description of John the Baptist. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In these verses, we see that John the Baptist baptized people. He proclaimed baptism of repentance of the forgiveness of sins, that people were confessing their sins to him, that he was a simple, humble man. He recognized that the Messiah that was to come after him was far greater than he could ever be. Jesus and John the Baptist had similar messages and demeanors, but even John the Baptist realized that Jesus is greater than him. We even see that John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, which means that Jesus and John the Baptist could not be the same person. But there was one person who believed that John the Baptist was Jesus. Not because of who John the Baptist was or who Jesus was, but because of what he had done to John the Baptist. Herod believed that Jesus was John the Baptist. Herod was fearful that John the Baptist was coming back to seek revenge and take Herod's power. When Herod heard of Jesus, he was afraid 
or at least that's what it seems like to me. And it makes sense that he would be afraid. The Bible says that people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead and that John the Baptist was performing miracles. Of course Herod was afraid. If you've ever killed someone, first off, turn yourself in. Second, if you've ever killed somebody and then you hear a rumor that they've come back from the dead and they're even more powerful now than they were before, wouldn't you be terrified? It makes sense why Herod is terrified. He's afraid of losing his power. He's afraid of losing his prestige and everything that he has. And here is this man that he killed that he knows he shouldn't have killed. And he believes this man is back from the dead. Herod played a dangerous game. He played the what if game. He said, what if this Jesus is John the Baptist? What if John the Baptist is back? What if John the Baptist comes to take everything I have? What if John Baptist kills me? I am sure that Herod was afraid of losing his power, status, comfort, and life because of who he thought Jesus was. But are we really different? We are fearful sometimes of the what-ifs of Jesus. What if I follow Jesus and I have to give up this life? What if I follow Jesus and he tells me I can't be doing these things anymore? What if I follow Jesus and I have to admit that I'm not in control anymore? And I believe we're afraid and we say these what-ifs because we have the wrong picture of who Jesus is. We may have glimpses of who we think Jesus is, but we may not know him fully. So you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus to you? Is he someone that just came and performed miracles? Is he just somebody that your parents believe in? Is he just somebody that was at this place in history that everybody was looking for a Messiah and maybe he was it? Is that what you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And what are the lies that you're believing about him that are keeping you from believing who he really is? What are the what ifs you have let creep into your mind that are keeping you from the prince of peace? What else are you attaching to Jesus that was never meant to be attached to him? In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why do we add anything else to that? Why do we add our insecurities and fear to that? Jesus calls us to love God and love others. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We take these verses about Jesus' love for us and we manipulate them into what we want it to be. We've done that with love in our culture as well. We make love about us and what we can get out of it. 
But Jesus makes it clear that he loves us and that he gave his life for us. John 15, 12 through 13 says this. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When you think of who Jesus is, is that the image you get? Do you see a friend who's willing to lay down their life for you? When you answer the question, who is Jesus to you, do you say he is the way, the truth, and the life? Is he the greatest example of love that you can think of? Because he died and took on our sin and shame and guilt. And then he rose from the dead showing that our sin, shame, and guilt and even death itself don't have the final say. God does. John three sixteen through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We are saved through Jesus Christ. We are not saved by laws. We are not saved through the prophets. We are not saved through Elijah. We are not saved through John the Baptist. We are saved through Jesus Christ. It's not about a set of rules. It's not about condemnation. It's about the fact that Jesus' grace is abundant and his love is for us. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. When we think of Jesus, who is it that we see? Do we see somebody that condemns us or tries to hold us to a set of rules? Or do we see that in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation? That you are free from the law of sin and death? Do you see that Jesus really is the way? I love how simple and yet complex sometimes following Jesus can be. It's so simple that there are kids' books written about him and so complex that there are thick books written about him. And I'm in the phase of reading some amazing books to my boys and one of those books to help them count on page seven, I think it is, has the seven I am's of Jesus. See, in the book of John, there are seven I am statements that Jesus gives. And this is literally a picture from Sam's book. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I am the vine and you are the branches. 
When I look at these seven I am's, I see that Jesus is a protector, he's a purifier, and he is our perfecter of our faith. But who is Jesus to you? And which one of these I am's or Bible verses that I have shared may be hard for you to believe? It may be hard for you to believe that Jesus really is the only way, or it might be hard for you to believe that Jesus is the good shepherd, but don't play the what-if game with yourself. Believe Jesus is who he said he was. Don't play the what-if game. Recently, I played the what-if game in my head, and it It opened me up to a world in my brain that I didn't even know was there or wasn't present. And it really paralyzed me. Um, and I was reminded of the father in scripture that bring, or that wants Jesus to heal his child. And Jesus says, just believe. And the father says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. In the last three weeks, I believe that I have been under some form of spiritual attack. I have doubted that Jesus was with me. I have doubted that Jesus was the good shepherd. I thought for some moments that I was losing my mind. <laughs> all because of something that I didn't really want to take the time to process. And by opening up myself to processing it, it made me ask the what if question. And in doing so, it made me not trust myself. And it is insane and it was insane and I do believe that the hardest part is over. And even this morning, talking with Mark about this passage, it's, uh, he said, there's no coincidence that you're teaching this one today. And I believe that to be true because of how Herod let a what if plague him. I had to remind myself of who Jesus really is. I had to remind myself that Jesus surrendered his all even to the point of death. And as a human, I really struggle to surrender everything. I struggle to not do things in my own strength. But through this process, I've had to learn to completely surrender my mind to the Lord. I had to remind myself of the simple truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That I am a beloved son, perfected, purified, and protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that his perfect love casts out fear. Don't play the what-if game with yourself. Believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Believe that you are a beloved child of God. Believe that you are perfected, purified, and protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because perfect love casts out fear. Know that Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Know that in him there is no condemnation. Know that in him is life and life abundantly.
Jesus is the son of God greater than any prophet. Jesus is the prince of peace greater than Elijah. Jesus is the one who died for our sins and shame and guilt, and he did not stay dead. He is greater than John the Baptist. But only you can answer the question, who is Jesus to you? Only you can process that question. Will you believe that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life? Will you believe that he is the light of the world? Don't hold on to just a small truth. Hold on to Jesus.